please. Tell the sheriff I shot him. Who? Tell him it's, he's still on the loose. Is this some kind of joke? I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. Trick or treat, Aqua fuckers. It's finally come to this here in Aquatober in the Aqua Cave. My name is Johnny C, and welcome to the latest edition of Top Man, where we try to provide some list based entertainment. Of course, if you've been following along with the Aqua Cave this month, you have to imagine you know what this is all about. We've covered a nightmare on Elm Street. We survived a trip to Camp Crystal Lake for Friday the 13th. But now, ladies and gentlemen, Haddonfield, Illinois beckons as it's time to finally put pen to paper, put brain to microphone, and identify the proper listing, well, my listing, for the ranking of the films in the Halloween franchise the granddaddy of them all if you will at least to me uh halloween has always been the king of the slasher genre of course you know sometimes i wonder if i even know what the slasher genre means but let's just put it this way halloween created a lot of copycats and uh, that is pretty much that there's no way around it no bones about it to be made you can't argue against it it's the truth so, right up top here, I want to let everyone know that there are, well, first of all, I guess a spoiler alert for just Halloween, all of them in general, but specifically I want to point out that I am going to be forced to discuss plot points surrounding the latest edition of the Halloween franchise, Halloween Ends, which I realize has not been out for a very long time. However, I know you all watch wrestling, so I know you all have Peacock. So, what's the problem? Why haven't you watched it yet? I will do my best to identify in the show notes uh, the, the section of time that covers Halloween ends, but buyer, beware, okay? If something slips, something slips. I'll try not to because, honestly, I don't want to be that fucker that spoils a movie for somebody. But I think if you're listening to this podcast and you have Peacock, which we know you do, you probably already watched Halloween Ends, because you're like me, and you just watched it as soon as it was available. By my count, we've got 13 films in this franchise. If you've listened to Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Friday the 13th, you know we've been doing sort of a battle scenario where, you know, we debate certain movies, and then we slot them two at a time, and then we move on to the next grouping of two. So, because there's 13, someone has to be the odd man out. And rather than do it at the bottom, I think it's just easier to do it at the top because uh, there'll only be one movie fighting for first place. And if you don't know what it is, you should probably maybe pick a different show to listen to. Wait a minute. No, always listen to Johnny C Podcast. But at the same time, we already know what number one is. So I think it's probably more entertaining to argue about the bottom, the middle, and the top couple of what have you. So... All introductions aside, let's continue or begin. Let's begin this list-based entertainment. So number 13 and number 12, the battle 
is going to be be between the worst Halloween films of all time. Halloween, Resurrection, and Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, the sequel, or H2, or RZH2. I don't really know what to call it. Oh, I should probably mention up top. The version of the... Because there's a lot of these films have alternate cuts, okay? The director's cut or the extended editions are the editions that are being included on the list, okay? Because to me, those are the definitive editions. That's the actual desired intent of the story and the plot and the movements and the film. So... That's the version that's being ranked. So this is the Rob Zombie Halloween 2 Director's Cut, which is H2, Family is Forever. I don't fucking know. I don't care. (laughs) Which is probably why it's on the bottom of the list. So let's start with Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Rob Zombie's Halloween is a divisive take on the franchise. In his version of Halloween 2, he is free and clear to do whatever he wants. And that's cool, to be honest with you. I like the idea of him being completely unhinged and untethered to plot elements or to story beats he feels obligated to hit. Because Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween 1, for all its flaws, does sort of feel... Well, we'll talk about that when it's time to. But I like the idea of him being untethered, okay? And sure enough, right from the get-go, he's bringing ideas to the forefront, okay? He truly is. He does a nice bit of fan service by including the hospital sequence uh, that's famously from the original Halloween 2. Instead of doing the entire movie as that, he turns it into the first, I don't know, uh, 25-ish minutes, okay? My big problem, it was all the dream. It was all the dream. And if you don't know, now you know. Is that a Jay-Z song? I mean, I know it's they sampled uh, Biggie there, but I think that's a Jay-Z song that I'm actually singing. There's some... Anywho, it doesn't fucking matter. Um, the Pale Horse, big part of this. Or the White Stag, uh, White Pony. Oh, that's a Deptones album. Ah, shove it, shove it, shove it! You see, you see how badly I want to talk about this film? I keep stalling. I don't know, guys. It's... Rob Zombie's characters are all hellbellies or hillbillies. It's like no one can exist as anything but I I like the I like that he's used like Danielle Harris in these things. I actually like Scout Taylor Compton or Scout Compton Scout Taylor, yeah, the girl that plays Lori. She's good in this. I like the concepts of it. I like the delusionalness of Lori. I love her being unable to hold on to reality. I enjoy that. I have no problem with it, but you know, Loomis is... Malcolm McDowell's Loomis is completely unlikable. I know that Donald Pleasance's Loomis becomes more of an unhinged maniac as the series progresses. But I prefer Loomis to be a little bit altruistic. And it's not until the end in this one that he does find that. I'm not sure about Michael talking. Because uh, in the director's cut, you know, he, he talks as he kills Loomis. Um, I, I don't know, guys. The way I stand is, is, I guess my big take is this. I appreciate the risks. I do. I appreciate the formula breaking. I do. But I do find the movie difficult to just sit through. I, it's just, it's just the, the thing it is, man. It is what it is. 
Um, I don't have a problem with the excessive violence or the gore or anything like that. None of that shit's ever going to bug me. I think that it, it, you know, it, it, its entertainment value may vary, even for a person who doesn't care about it, who's not offended by it or not shocked by it or anything like that. Like, even Halloween movies that I have ranked higher that have excessive gore, sometimes I'm like, all right, so we're just in a fucking cartoon now. But whatever. It is what it is. Um, the next film on the list... Oh, God. Or the next for the battle. Halloween fucking Resurrection. The follow-up to Halloween H2O. Fuck this fucking movie. Just fuck it hard, but in a way that's not pleasurable for it. In a way where it's like, hey, you're actually uh, fucking me a little too hard, and uh, I want to stop this. I want to stop this fucking right now. And then, of course, you consensually are like, okay, I'm sorry, I took it too far, uh, and you walk away uh, just agreeing to you know, split ways and, and not do this ever again. Uh, but I actually want to punish Halloween Resurrection even further. I'm going to do that by just saying right now, it's the number 13 film on the list. It's the worst Halloween film. Fuck this webcam uh, haunted Michael Myers house bullshit. Fuck the retcon of the Halloween H2O ending. Fuck Laurie Strode's ending. Fuck this movie. Okay. You know, Busta Rhymes doing his best Howard the Duck, by the way. All right, Howard the Duck's a master of quack-foo. Busta Rhymes is a master of bust-foo, okay? I think he learned it from Shaq. Bust-foo, of course, a derivative, famously, of Shaq-foo, which, of course, is a derivative of quack-foo. So there you have it. Great martial arts masters throughout history. Although I do I like it as a minor callback to the fact that Dan the Beast Severn starred in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. That's a long-running Johnny C joke. Just deal with it. But yeah, uh, we do have sort of a who's who of, hey, I know that guy from this movie. Hey, I know her from this movie in this film. Uh, we've got the people watching from the party. I just... This movie also famously was not a Halloween movie. It was a script for, like, a cutting-edge modern horror film that included, like, the internet, which makes it cutting-edge and modern, in finger quotes here, because uh, it's 2002 when this bad boy comes out, which means it's, like, 01 when they're shooting it. And they just bought the script, and they're like, yeah, let's just throw Myers in this thing. And then they added the prologue with Jamie, and that is that. Fuck it. I'm done with it. Number 13, Halloween Resurrection. Number 12, Rob Zombie's H2. Halloween 2, Family is Forever, Extended Director's Cut with the White Pony. Next up on the docket, some controversy right away. Two films battling it out for number 10 and number 11. These films are going to be Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, taking on Halloween 2. Yes, the original Halloween 2, the sequel to Halloween, it's more of the night he came home. And it's the same night, obviously, except, wow, it just doesn't feel the same. More money, brighter lights, less enthusiasm from me as a viewer. I don't like Halloween 2 that much, guys. I think it's boring as shit. I really do. I like that Lubis starts to lose it also subtly through the evening I shot him six times sheriff you don't know what death is Donald Pleasance I've been told by Donald Pleasance sort of sounds like an angry British star scream from Transformers so I'm going to apologize for it ahead of time is it him did you kill the evil no you killed fucking Ben Tramer Laurie's crush I don't know this movie has things I like about 
about it, I suppose. I like that it's a continuation. I dig the opening sequence when Michael sneaks into that girl's house and gets another weapon and just kills her, which sounds like a horrible thing to say out loud, but give me some context here. I like the idea that Michael... You know, he survives Loomis's six bullets. He wait, he gets up and walks away at the end of Halloween. I like that we're picking him up sort of in the back alleys of Haddonfield. I like that it makes me feel like Haddonfield is a real place with real geography to where if I was in a similar situation as Michael, I could lank in the shadows and find a way to sort of catch my breath and regroup on this thing and, and keep the killing uh, going. I like Michael walking around Haddonfield unassumingly. And we'll talk about that more in great detail in the future. Just remind me. No, we will, because how could I possibly forget my favorite Halloween sequence of all time? It's just not this particular one. But once we get to that hospital, and we're locked into that hospital, fuck it. It's just, it's boring. Uh, I find it boring. Suspense for me is hard, because I, it's interesting. And this is a a me thing, which is why this is a me list. I'm just going to put this out there. Suspense unless it's not done with long extended shots and quiet for me is very hard to focus on as a viewer and that's because of my brain's activity so i know your mileage may vary and that's totally cool that's what i like about list based shows arguing with the podcaster in your car as you're driving like you stupid fat bastard halloween 2 rules i like that that's why i do it so suspense there this film's version of suspense to me is just boredom and i'm not i'm not here for it um this this is where famously we get the sister twist the sis the swister the sister i don't know the the fact that laurie strode is michael myers's sister is finally revealed to the public that was clamoring for a reason and explanation as to why he was so evil and hunting her this is what we got it is what it is the future retcon sequels uh ignore this and i think for good reason um but yeah uh, I do like that the last Starfighter is here. Greetings, Starfighter. Wow. The Music Man versus Dr. Loomis in a battle to fucking win the hearts of a small Illinois town. <laughs> citizens of Haddonfield, I'm here to stop evil. Well, citizens of Haddonfield, I'll tell you, you won't have evil if you have a nice 17 6 bar passport ban and a monorail. <laughs> 76 trombones killed the Myers kid. He was a little bitch all the time. Now I'm completely off the rails with these tales, but I'm going to keep it in the show. Boom, boom. But yeah, if you've ever seen The Music Man, <laughs> you'll get all these riffs. Uh, but yeah, Lance Guest is the kid, Jimmy, uh, who falls in love with, well, falls in stalking with Laurie. He's in the movie The Last Starfighter, where the music man plays Centauri, a friendly alien who comes to let him know that, Greetings, Starfighter, you're really good at this video game, which was really a test to see if you could fight the Kodar, Kodan Armada. And, um, Jesus, off the rails. So Halloween 2's done. Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. This is where we start to take the original chronology into what I'm just going to call fucking crazy town, okay? We get the first appearance of Michael Myers' Thorn tattoo. We get the first appearance of the mysterious Greater Power, or the Man in Black, if you'd like to be less wrestling and more serious about it. Um, we lose our final girl, Rachel, from Halloween 4 pretty quickly, and are introduced to... Tina! If you've seen the film, you'll get the reference. 
Jamie, at this point, is a, is psychically linked to her uncle Michael, mute, and fucking. If I had a nickel for every time this girl thrashes around in this film, I'd have like sixty five cents. This poor actress, um, and also. Loomis has fi- Loomis finally loses his shit and uses young Jamie Lloyd as a human shield, and uh, the, the the film's just bonkers. We also uh, now we've had Michael Myers driving a car. I got no problem with this, but this has a fantastic sequence where Michael is driving around with Tita, and Tita's just rambling and rambling and talking up a storm, and Michael's just driving like. Ugh. Like, I could see him throwing his hands in the air like, Shut up, woman! Uh, but there is some good suspense there, because that's what suspense is to me. This is a great contrast in suspense. A young nurse wandering around the halls of Haddonfield Hospital where there's nothing doing, and just being like, Hello? Is anybody there? And walking around for like 90 seconds or two minutes or whatever, and just sort of being like, Oh, why doesn't the lights... Like, fuck! Get on with it. That suspense doesn't work for me. Michael and Tina being in the same car and waiting to see if he'll snap and just stab her, that's suspenseful. I mean, is it? Is it not? I don't know. But that's a version of suspense that works better for me as a viewer. I really like Tina, though. She reminds me of this girl that I knew in high school that I liked quite a bit. So maybe that plays into it. I mean, of course, it's 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 sort of that... I don't want to call it a primal memory, but every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, she reminds me of so-and-so. I like so-and-so. And, like, It's not like a thing that continues on in the modern existence. It's just a nice callback. So I like Tina. She's spirited. She's an individual. She's an eight. She's a eight, She's not your typical final girl. You know what I mean? And she's not the final girl because she eats it. But she does realize that she needs to fucking be a living embodiment of Captain America and act as a human shield uh, protecting Jamie from Michael Myers. So, I don't know. The film is all over the place tonally. We get the cops that come equipped with their own fucking wacky soundboard. It's like, hey there, we're the cops. Like, I almost have to expect to be like, you want to get a cup of coffee? Sure. All right, let's go to the coffee shop. Oh, hold on. There's a popping mouth noise for you. So, I don't know. It's just, it's a hodgepodge of shit. Um, I listened to some great interviews. Uh, uh, for, uh, by the way, just a side note, there's a fantastic book out there, a series of books called Taking Shape, um, that if you're into the Halloween franchise, I wholeheartedly recommend. Uh, the first Taking Shape novel covers the creation and background information on every Halloween up to 2018, Halloween 2018. And then the second book is a retrospective of about 30 unmade Halloween sequel scripts that never got shot. It's fantastic nerd movie trivia, but the interview with the Halloween 5 director is quite eye-opening. It's interesting. Um, This guy was doing his thing. This guy was doing something that uh, doesn't necessarily translate all the time, but he was taking risks and being out there, if you will. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes it works for me. Sometimes it doesn't. Halloween 2, however, really never works for me. And that's why, number 11, Halloween 2 from 1981. And at number 10, probably a shocker, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Because sometimes this movie's just crazy and batshit ridiculous enough for me to work. Whereas Halloween 2, every time I watch it, I'm just, I'm not into it. End of sentence, end of story. Now, 
Up next, a battle for the slots number nine and number eight. Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, taking on Rob Zombie's Halloween. Let's go chronologically here. Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, just if I wasn't clear in the intro, I'm talking about the producer's cut, the only version of the film that you need to watch. So this is the version without the fucking rock and roll guitar, Michael Myers theme. This is the version that leans into the cult antics of the Curse of Thorn. This is the one where Ant-Man defeats Michael Myers by playing with his fucking runestones at the end of the movie. Which is fine. and I'm not trying to make fun of it, but I guess, uh, I, guess I am. And yes, like I said, it's got Ant-Man Paul Rudd in it, who's much more than Ant-Man, but shit, that's, that's just what he is now. Um... And, of course, the final film performance of Donald Pleasance. Um, This movie, marred by production issues, obviously, because there's multiple cuts of it. But the producer's cut, the full film, was like the fucking white whale for me. Okay, I talked about this a bit in my Halloween multiverse uh, podcast I did a couple weeks ago on Brightman. But... I never thought I would see the the true producer's cut like version of Halloween 6. I thought I was forever doomed to deal with Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. Uh, that was the uh, Miramax version that they wanted to put out. Uh, and, and when I when I finally released it to the public for digital consumption for a cheap price, I mean, it was like Moby Dick lay at my feet deceased. And then, years later, we got the Snyder Cut. Oh, that's a whole other thing and another gag I'm not going to do to get into it. But, yeah, so I might be a little biased for this film, but it's battling for 9 and 8, so I'm not too biased. But if we were talking about the original Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, it's battling out with Resurrection for the bottom spot, okay? Um... Donald Pleasant's not doing a whole lot in this one. He's very ill and aged at this point. Uh, I'm not saying to throw shade at the man. I'm just saying he's sort of a non-factor here. His performance is fine. It's just loopy enough still. Uh, the man in black from Halloween 5 that broke... And that's another thing, too. The Halloween... And, and this is important to me as a big Halloween fan. Halloween 6, like the original version that was released in theaters, there's little things about the Halloween franchise that it ignores. Things like flashing back to the original and also date stamping scenes. Date stamping in Halloween is very important to me. I always need to say, I need to be included at each film, like October 28th, 1998, fucking Salt Lake City, Utah. I think, you know, I need to see Haddonfield, Illinois, October 30th you know, 1978, like that shit's important to me because that's a keystone of Halloween presentation that started in the first one and has been carried through each film. Halloween, the producers, Halloween 6 producers cut restores elements like that. It flashes back to the end of Halloween 5 to show us the man in black rescuing Michael from prison and kidnapping Jamie as well. And we get more date stamps as the, the, the movie progresses. The producers cut introduces the cult of Thorn uh, and the curse of Thorn, which is the reason that Michael Myers is all powerful and you know he's he's the he has to kill his bloodline in order to protect the rest of the tribe from evil happening to them. So he's like their sacrificial lamb. Paul Rudd's Tommy Doyle, a character from the first Halloween, is aware of this mystical cult elements and studies the occult to figure out ways to destroy Michael Myers. Um, Doctor Wynn 
A random character from one scene in Halloween, the original, is revealed to be the higher power of the man in black, the leader of the cult of Thorn, which does at least try to tie it into the original Halloween and maybe explain why Michael Myers was able to escape so easily. They're pulling at straws here, but at least they're trying something. It kind of reminds me of a comic from the modern era where they're like, oh yeah, by the way, all that stupid shit from the 60s, like... We figured out a way to retcon it as like, oh, you know, Superman, we put you in a fugue state because you went a little crazy and we made up all these memories in your brain we implanted about happy times in the 60s where you would just fight different robots every week and smile the whole time and rescue cats out of trees uh, because we had to alter your personality because you went a little crazy. I completely made that up. But you see where I'm going here. When, when you get a big reveal in a modern comic book, that it's like, hey, remember that stupid thing in the 80s? We made it work. Now, I'm not saying Michael Myers escaping in the original is stupid or anything like that. I'm just saying they're definitely trying to make it all. They're trying to connect it all and, and put a bow on this entire fucking thing. I love shock jock Barry Sims, who's in this movie being like, hey, bitch, show me your boobs, which is awful, okay? But I love... It's like 1995 in a nutshell, Howard Stern, blah, 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 blah. Um, I like the uh, theatrical, or excuse me, the the producer's cut ending better that sees Michael Loomis uh, forever linked to uh, Michael Myers as the new man in black, the new leader of the cult of Thorn, the man responsible for keeping Michael safe. It seems to end in a way that's like, well, you reap what you sow, Doc. You reap what you sow. Um, this movie doesn't. And, I, and I've said a lot of positive things about this movie because, like I said, the producer's cut's sort of the white whale for me. It's got problems, too. Like, a lot of problems. But, yeah, I've already talked about it enough. I See, I even have a hard time, like, throwing shade at it because I wanted that producer's cut for so long. So having it in eligibility and in contention for a number this low, I think, is, is where the discussion is going to end on that. Rob Zombie's Halloween, a tale of two movies. Cut it right down the fucking middle. Literally, when it cuts to text, Haddonfield, you know, 2000-whatever. It's basically Rob Zombie's attempt to, in a two-hour film, have two one-hour films. The first one is an origin story for why Michael Myers is so fucking evil. The second half of the film is a modern-ish remake of the original Halloween using Rob Zombie's new characters. Well, his new interpretation. Right off the bat, I don't like it. Michael Myers doesn't need this origin, and of course, it's a Rob Zombie movie. So what is Michael Myers' origin? Well, he grew up in a hellbilly, hillbilly home where everybody says, fuck shit ass, bitch, cunt, shibbity weep up. Skip it a boop up, but fuck you, bitch. That's all anybody fucking says. They're beep-bopping and scatting around the Myers house, just throwing out every curse word you can imagine, which doesn't bother me or doesn't offend me, but it's pretty pretty cheap, all right? Um, oh, his mom was a stripper, of course. Like, that's something wrong. Um, his daughter was sexually... Or his daughter, Jesus. His older sister was sexually promiscuous. Well, how awful that is. Well, no, these things aren't awful. Now, the stepdad dude, William Forsythe, is pretty fucking awful. And I do cheer a little bit when he gets his throat slashed, I really must say. Well, I don't know, guys. I just... And even fucking poor Laurie Strode is a Rob's, is a white trash Rob Zombie version. Like, And here's sort of my big... This is probably the easiest way for me to explain my problem with it. 
I don't have a problem with it per se. However, Rob Zombie's characters all, much like Kevin Smith, they all sort of feel the same. Everyone's, in Kevin Smith movies, everyone's like the funniest one in the room, or everyone's the one with the most pop culture references in their brain in the room, okay? In Rob Zombie's Halloween, every character is the sleazy one. Even innocent Laurie Strode. Now, I've got no problem with updating teenage archetypes, okay? But there's no... It's like if if Annie is the shock one, or Linda's the shocky one, if, if they're walking home from high school and Linda's like, Oh, Laurie, guess what? And Laurie's like, What? Tonight, Bob's going to eat my pussy! Woo! There's nothing wrong with that, but that's but then it's like, oh, okay, Linda's the like sexually liberated, like outgoing, wild one, and then Annie's like, oh, is he gonna munch your snatch? Mm. Then it's like, okay, so Lori is this is 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 the same way. So what's the difference here? Why is I don't know. They just all feel the same, and and I'm not. I got no problem with people talking like it's just. Give me something to differentiate. Give me something to tell me that this character is different from the other characters. Even Lori's uh, adopted parents are like, Lori, what are you doing tonight? Well, I'm going to watch Linda get her snatch eaten. And her mom's like, oh, Lori, you're such a cunt. Like, I just, I, I don't know. It just, it is what it is. Now, once... The remake of Halloween, the original, actually kicks in. I'm into this film a whole hell of a lot more. I like the updated scenarios and attacks. I like the updated interpretation of suspense. I actually fucking love the ending where Lori just shoots Michael in the face and screams covered in blood. And it's like, Halloween. Like, I'm into it. I'm into it quite a fucking bit. Um, But overall... Tonally, this thing is a mishmash. Like, am I supposed to feel sympathy for Michael because he's a product of his environment? Or was it destined to happen all along? I don't know that the film wants to answer that question. But the thing is, is that when when everyone is behaving and acting the same way, how am I supposed to understand that Michael is should be troubled by this? Because Lori, while she's a, certainly not abused... Uh, physically and verbally like Michael is of uh, it's it's not the same um but you know everybody sort of just has this crazy hell belly personality hell billy personality and it just it doesn't work um so i don't know there rob zombies halloween 1 has more merits to it than that but the stuff i've mentioned is what always holds it back for me and that's why it's in contention this low at the end i'm i'm ready to verdict this thing out Number nine is going to be Rob Zombie's Halloween. And number eight is going to be Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, which is, of course, the producer's cut, the only version that should be discussed in any way, shape, or form. So let's just recap this thing real quick. 13, Halloween Resurrection. 12, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. 11, Original Halloween 2. 10, Halloween 5, Revenge of Michael Myers. 9, Rob Zombie's Halloween. 8, Halloween 6, Curse Producers. That's sort of your bottom ish half if you will uh we've got you know seven more to go but you know everything above this line has more going for it and and feels like a more complete experience everything below on the list to me anyway feels 
like there are too many instances of huh or uh to ignore the problematic elements. Oh, every movie has problems, especially simple, straightforward slasher movies like this franchise that ignores its own continuity. But above this line, we have less of that and we have more positive stuff to lean into as a whole. And that's why I wanted to sort of draw a line in the middle, much like Rob Zombie did. Just draw a line in the middle right here to get some delineation there. It's it's fitting, too, that the next two items on the list, Battling for 7 or 6, really honestly have a lot in common, more so than I would have ever predicted they would have. But this is where I need to tell you that spoilers are incoming. All right, Because battling out for number 7 and number 6... We've got Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and Halloween Ends. Well, my goodness. Johnny C., you just said that we were crossing some sort of imaginary line where there was more good than bad. And I, of course, as a person, have read reviews about Halloween Ends and heard how divisive it is. And I'm here to tell you, yep, well, that shit's true. But, well, we'll get into it. So, spoiler alert, blanket spoiler alert, here we go. Here starts the Halloween Ends pure discussion. All right. Let's just fucking... Let's actually let's start with... Uh, yeah, let's start with Halloween Ends because I gave the spoiler alert. So, Corey Cunningham, the new Michael Myers-ish type character. This movie... And I really want to sort of... I, I, wanna, I, w- I don't want to hit this thing beat by beat, but it's so fresh and it's so new that... Let me just say this. Let's talk about it in vague points because I don't I don't want to do a deep dive on Halloween ends. So this is a whole other podcast. I appreciate the risk. I appreciate fucking with my expectations and going in a different direction. I also, God help me, sort of dig the reverse Titanic is what I'm calling it, love story. Okay? Because Titanic, which is a whole other podcast, which is actually a film that I think is brilliant. So putting that out there you know jack and rose they sort of they have a meet cute and then they sort of have a hot passionate or like a deep passionate sort of like connection and a limited amount of time together where they alter one another forever uh spoiler for titanic because jack dies (laughs) but rose goes on to be like a a person who lives a complete life and lives on her own uh by her own set of rules i dig the sort of crazy wild passion connection that Corey and Allison get sort of instantly, like this sort of primal connection that sort of makes them feel deeply connected to one another and fucking hot for one another and like Mickey and Mallory-ish. Of course, she doesn't kill anyone or anything like that. It's just like I, I sort of like that aspect of the story. I like them sort of saving one another from their existence that they can't fucking stand of course it takes a turn for the worse and um you know she learns that but at the same time i just i like that aspect of it i like that haddonfield fear feels cursed now like michael's gone but his hit the curse of michael myers interesting from halloween 6 is is with us like the mark has been left it's almost like uh, you know they they're sort of under a dome, if you will, like within the 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 fucking city limits. Like there's a dark curse that hangs over our little society because that's a town is a society, okay? And of course, Corey Cunningham is an as a pariah in this society because of the events of Halloween Night 2019. Did he kill the little kid? Was it an accident? 
A court of law found that it was an accident, but he's still a town pariah accosted by individuals, and I think that this is an allegory for our modern society. At what point do we, as a society, hold on to a mass group opinion or hang on to our version of the truth and when we hold on to that for so long does it poison our society i don't know i'm not some sort of sociologist but i think that's the vibe i'm picking up to it it's like it what i'm getting from this movie is it was an accident all right Corey seems like a kid who's been who's got some anger issues okay but i don't think he was i don't think he's the at least in the halloween 2019 prologue like that night where the kid dies i don't think he's there with that in him okay i think he's poisoned by the group uninformed opinion and the group I understand where they're coming from. Look at the evidence. The parents hear Corey threaten the child. Then the child falls. Then the child explodes. Yikes. You know, it's like there's evidence here pointing to that this kid is guilty. But in the court of law, he's cleared. But in the court of public opinion, that negativity, that influence. Influence is such a big thing in modern society. What's your job? I'm an influencer. Well, that sounds kind of dangerous. The influence of the intent of the assumed events of that evening poison Haddonfield and when you put the curse of Michael Myers on top of it it creates an environment where Corey can become consumed by the evil of the shape now I think on paper and talking about it makes Halloween ends sound like a fucking really awesome movie it fails in execution. I haven't seen it enough times to point out individual reasons why, but it does fail in execution to the point where everything involving Lori and actual Michael Myers feels tacked on like it belongs in a different movie. And I think that's the ultimate failure of Halloween Ends, is that it feels like a brilliant concept and idea that is not the final or finale of a trilogy of films centered around a different character that being Laurie Strode because all the actual stuff with Michael and Laurie and the big finish the big fight at the end feels so tacked on and necessary because we know as a writer a director and as a production company that this is the end of our story so we need to make sure we put a capper on it that ends the story we told but where we start the first 80% of the film is not what we should be doing. It's a great movie on its own concept with a little bit better execution. But the thing it has in common with Halloween 3 Season of the Witch is, of course, famously, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch does not feature Michael Myers. It was intended to be a rebirth for Halloween where each film could be independent or standalone. Just a shocking horror film about events that happen around Halloween. Maybe this go-around, as in Halloween 3, we got some evil wizards. Maybe next time there's some sort of fucking car that comes to life and eats you on Halloween. I mean, no, that sounds ludicrous. Well, I don't know, I'd watch it, but at the same time, it's like it's supposed to be everything is a little different. Everything is a new take on the haunting events of a Halloween. And Halloween ends sort of does feel like Michael without Michael. I, I like him 
in the sewers, like underneath the city, sort of just honestly trying to fucking stay breathing. I imagine he's probably killed random people that maybe wander around too close, but he's not like going out at night hunting people. Like, there's not some sort of grand mystery about, well, every six weeks, like, three people randomly die in Haddonfield. Is Michael still here? I don't know. I like the idea that he's down there just, dare I say, sort of waiting to die? It's interesting. Because this version of Michael is not influenced by a cult of Thorn. He's not influenced by the fact that Laurie's his sister. Hell, his fight with Laurie in the Halloween 2018 is just happenstance. He's just on her compound. Like his doctor, his evil doctor brings him there. I don't know. So Halloween ends, I do feel very divisive about it. I haven't seen it a lot. So that's why I kind of like it's difficult to, to really harness in on. I'm confident though that history will be kind to this. I feel that history will be kind to this, in my opinion. I feel it will be more kind to me because, man, after the first viewing, I was like, wow, what the fuck was this? Like, Because I was expecting Halloween... I was expecting part three of this David Gordon Green trilogy. And while I got that, it wasn't presented that way as the main thrust of the narrative. But I think history will be kind to it. I think there's enough good ideas here to push it above the rest. Um... But let's talk about Halloween 3 Season of the Witch before we do our final seating. Dan the Beast Severn takes on the old man from RoboCop. Um, happy, happy Halloween indeed. I, the idea in play here, robots, Stonehenge, stones being bewitched by evil corporations from the 80s selling masks to murder Halloween kids, just crazy enough to kit me in all the feels. I love Carpenter's synth score. I love the 80s computer like I love how it's like this is a Halloween like if we if the Halloween anthology actually happened it'd be like oh yeah Halloween 3 is the one that talks about how evil technology and corporate greed is but I love how technology at the time are these old school fucking 80s computers drawn pumpkins I just really like it I love that it doesn't explain how robots could be a thing that this evil silver shamrock corporation has I love the lasers the scene where the kid wears the pumpkin mask and watches the Silver Silver Shamrock commercial is fucking horrifying and disgusting. I can barely watch it. I love that. I kind of like good old Tom Atkins or Dan the Beast Severn playing the drunk doctor who's just trying to get laid and accidentally solving a mystery at the same time. That's not a good way to live your life, kidsters, but I, I just kind of like that this movie's as, you know, it's kind of sleazy and it knows it. He does attack that poor girl's nipples in that sex scene. That poor girl having to consent to this. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I feel very strong. I, I enjoy Halloween 3. I, to me, Halloween 3 was a pariah for the longest time. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, this is actually pretty fucking decent. Um, again, much like Halloween ends, I feel like history has been kind to Halloween 3. When you know what you're to expect, that being not Michael Myers, just sit back, relax, and fucking watch it. It's a decent enough ghost horror movie. What, what do you want from me? It, it's fine. Um, but, be, you know, obviously Michael Myers is the thrust of Halloween for most people, including myself. And, you know, that's what keeps it from getting any higher on the list. But Halloween ends and Season of the Witch are, are your risk takers. They go out on a limb and try to do something different for better or for worse. And, you know, I, I realize this sort of battle is supposed to be about both these films has mainly been about Halloween ends. But... I don't want to take up much more time debating this. 
So let me just be clear. Number seven is Halloween Ends. Number six is Halloween 3 Season of the Witch because I've had more time with it. History has been kind to Halloween 3. I know this. I enjoy it. I can independently watch it anytime I want. I, I like it quite a bit. Halloween Ends, we'll see. But I think the intent and the allegory... I really love the the influence infecting you. Like I love the idea of like toxic beliefs being held onto by a society and and taking individuals who have been beset by circumstances beyond their control. It's like, well, you know what? You may not have killed that kid, but in our minds you did, and so now you're going to have to live your life as if you did commit that crime because we're not going to let you live any other way. And what kind of a fucking society is that? Who wants to be a part of that society? I don't know. And we haven't even talked about the fact that Lori kills Michael Myers at the end. I will say this. I love when they finally fight that Lori, once she gets him crucified on that butcher's block or whatever you want to, what it is, uh, she goes for exactly the things that horror movie fans like always yell, like, go for the head, slit his throat, slit his wrist. And she does. She slits the throat and then she slits the wrist. I'm still, like from a from an allegorical perspective, I enjoy, or I think it's a, an interesting choice to have the... Um, procession through town of Michael's body on the hood of the car. In practical execution, I find it a bit too Looney Tunes, but I like the idea of spreading the message to the infected society that we can move on now. This is the vaccine for the infection, if you will. The All the corruption that our society has endured since Halloween 2018 and to an extent Halloween 78, this is how we purge it. But, like I said, in execution, it's a bit comical and Looney Tunes-ish. But, um, you know, I want to return to Halloween Ends sooner than later. Um, but I think that's going to end the Halloween Ends and Halloween 3 discussion. Uh, so we can no longer be weary of spoilers. I'll make sure to mark the time, all right? So if my math is correct, it's time to move on to the list in a battle between number 5 and number 4. What we're going to have here is a battle between two movies that brought Michael back. It's the battle of Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers, taking on Halloween H2O 20 years later. Let's go chronologically here with Halloween 4, return of Michael Myers from 1988. And they call it the return because, well, it's the return. After Season of the Witch, it was clear that audiences wanted Michael. And and so they gave us Dr. Loomis and Michael back, both from the dead, from a fire uh, at the hospital at Halloween 2. Miraculously, both men still alive. But Dr. Loomis is in top form here. Dr. Loomis is starting to lose it in Halloween 2. When we meet him in Halloween 4 and we carry with him for the rest of the series, we're with a Dr. Loomis who has... Lost it, okay? Michael is everything. Uh, God damn you, Michael. I mean, it's just, it's, I love Donald Pleasance in this movie. We find a new victim or final girl or whatever you want to call it, uh, Michael's niece, Jamie Lloyd. I like Daniel Harris here playing Jamie. She's so likable. Like this little kid, like she's just a likable kid and you empathize with her right away. You know, she's an orphan. Uh, She is with a foster family, but you know, she's Lori's daughter. We empathize with her that Lori's gone. Like, you know, it's just, 
we sort of feel for this kid right away who's just trying to survive her childhood, you know, and uprooted into all these unfortunate circumstances. Her foster sister, Rachel, is the, I guess, typical, like, she's more of your templated final girl. She's also likable, too. You know, she wants to be a teenager. She likes Jamie. She loves Jamie. But, of course, she wants to go out and do teenager things on Halloween night, even though she's forced to babysit. Good world building with the tea drama here with Brady, uh, Rachel's boyfriend, and the sheriff's daughter. They're flirtatious working at this crazy drugstore that has everything in a small town. It's a nice vibe to it. It's just very, even though I wasn't a teenager in the 80s, I feel like this group of teens is relatable to and, and likable. Likeable enough for a movie to hang out with for a little bit, I suppose. But Michael Myers, of course, when he hears... Uh, well, for, there's a couple of different uh, situations here. Uh, we get a lot different hospital or medical-related or personnel at facilities explaining the plot. We get the great guy in the beginning who's like, Yeah, yeah, you're coming to pick up Michael May as well. In case you uh, hospital folks aren't aware of it, let me, the security guard, tell you about Michael May. It started in 1978. And then he recaps. And then, of course, in the ambulance as Michael's being transported, it's like, Well, he's still got family in Hadfield. And I'm up. Michael emerges from his coma, clearly with some sort of new superpowers due to his burned-off nerve endings, I guess. Eventually finds his way to Haddonfield and gets an awful mask from this drugstore. Now, I'm not a huge mask hound, but these two movies, that being uh, H2O and Halloween 4, both have a couple of mask problems with me. I don't like the Halloween 4 mask. It feels like a wimpy, it looks like a wimpy man. I don't know any other way to describe it. But I do love, we get an early taste of um, Haddonfield resisting the return of the shape with a lovable group of hillbillies led by Earl that I like to call lovingly Southern Justice. Of course, if you listen to all sorts of my shows, like Kingfish, for example, where the Southern Justice Wrestling Stable shows up, I mean, I, I guess this should tell you, I probably first watched Halloween 4 in like 1998 or 97 or whatever, and you know, we just always refer to the group of hillbillies that hunt Michael as Southern Justice. I don't know what more you want from me, but because of that memory... You know, it helps me when I'm watching Halloween 4. I chuckle and laugh at Southern Justice, even though my friends aren't here because I'm an adult and they're adults. You know, we're not watching it together, but I still have all that in my head. Would they accidentally kill Ted Hollister? And the one dude's like, shit, Earl. It's Ted Hollister. And Earl's like, you son of a bitch. You said you saw Myers. Because they just execute this dude with shotguns who they think might hypothetically be Michael Myers. It's brilliant. And then, of course, they all die as a way to have the movie, you know, give them a, their just desserts for killing an innocent man. Michael, uh, in the assault on the sheriff's house compound, you know, trying to get to Jamie, is one of the better climaxes in Halloween's, in my opinion. The ultimate resolution or dis, uh, dispatching of Michael with the firing squad, it's fine. But I find it a little weak because it's not as confrontational. It's not a. It's not a. Uh, it's interesting with the narrative because it's like all these people, police officers, Loomis. You know, we all sort of gang up and team up and shoot Michael down and kill him. In, in finger quotes. I don't know. It just feels sort of muddy with the narrative. Like maybe Rachel should get the killing blow, or even Jamie get the killing blow, or something like that. But maybe Michael gets the killing blow. Because, of course, Jamie touches Michael before he's shot down. And uh, 
maybe they form some sort of a bond because at the end it it does feature a fantastic ending uh, where Jamie kills in finger quotes wearing the same clown costume that Michael did in the first one kills her foster mother. Of course, Halloween 5 would retcon this to minor stab wounds and Jamie's not infected with evil. Um, and, and then that book I mentioned earlier, there's a lot, a lot, a lot about this. I'm not going to dive into it because I'm not going to steal that author's material. That's not what I'm about. But at the same time, what it sets up a great what could have been Halloween 5. And so I think that's one of the reasons that Halloween 4 lives up in the fandom as well. Um, this is a a film that usually is pretty high on fan rankings. It obviously isn't mine. It's either four or five, but you know, it's not quite in the top, 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 top for me, like one, two, three, obviously. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge, acknowledge me. I have to acknowledge that Halloween four is a return of the franchise, not only bringing Michael back, but a stamp like, you know what? Halloween is here. It's still relevant. It can still do things. It's not my fault that the sequels that followed up after me didn't do as well. Speaking of followed up sequels, uh, I'd like to thank Kevin Williamson, the creator of Dawson's Creek and the writer of Scream, for giving us H2O Halloween 20 years later. Now, no, he's not directly responsible for it. He did famously write a treatment that inspired uh, Miramax and Dimension to invest in a new version of Halloween, but Scream. Scream is the film that taught me about Halloween, okay? Now, it's 1995, I'm 12 years old, and I go to see Scream in theaters, and Scream's fucking brilliant. It's so well-written, it's so in the now, it's so of the times, it's so meta. I mean, it's what fucking taught me what meta is, for goodness sakes. But in the world of Scream, Halloween is put up on a pedestal as this important, grandiose film. Now, it's an important film. Now, it is an important film, but I was exposed to it because Scream put it on a pedestal. And I had Scream on a pedestal, so if Scream acknowledges Halloween, I must then acknowledge Halloween. And thus began my pursuit for Halloween knowledge and watching all the films. But the dialogue in Halloween H2O is a response to Halloween scene renewed popularity through Scream. It's a return from J- to Jamie Lee Curtis to the series. It, it ignores the events of anything after Halloween 2 as if it didn't happen. Laurie Strode has relocated under a new name to California to get her life back on track. She did this years before the film starts. But Michael is still out there, I guess? Because if Halloween 2 happened, which it did, didn't he burn... Like, it's never. It's kind of glossed over real quick. Halloween H two O is a movie that that begs for an extra twenty minutes. I mean, this thing's like a tight eighty six. You can tell that this film was edited to. I mean, every film gets edited, but I feel like, and I don't know this for a fact. Like, I don't know if there's some much larger extended edition that could be possible out there, but you can sort of feel the editing in this movie. Uh, you know that prologue, the cold opens great where uh, fucking Robin, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, gets murdered with an ice skate. But it's so long, it stands out like a sore thumb of an investment of time to a film. You feel like they would invest that much time in it if we just had an 86-minute movie. But nothing gets trimmed out of it because it's vital to build suspense, reintroduce Michael, and introduce the new world of H2O. You feel like the cold open wouldn't be so long if we knew the rest of the movie was going to get hacked to pieces. And that's not a Michael Myers killing people joke. I love Josh Hartnett in this thing. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Josh Hartnett. I love his hair. It's bonkers. 
I like that Michelle Williams is here as I'm a huge Dawson's Creek mark, and it's 1998. You, you love to see it. I don't like LL Cool J in this movie. Like, his character is so unnecessary. It's a waste of time. That's the thing, too. We waste too much time with LL. I, I have no problems with LL. I think it, the part's actually kind of funny. But at the same time, in a movie that we're only going to have be 86 minutes long with a cold open that eats up like 10 of it, I just, I'm not here for that, for that shit. All right. Also him living through this movie reeks of like a test audience being like, nah, LL should live. I do like the idea that Lori is battling her demons, much like Hawk from the Legion of Doom. It's an interesting here because this, this franchise is so unique because we get two reboots starring Jamie Lee Curtis and we see different versions of her dealing with the trauma of the events of the first film. The Lori in H2O is a bit more functioning version of Lori. I mean, she has a good job. She's got a decent enough life. She's a raging alcoholic, which is sad and, and unfortunate, and it's, it's not something to laugh at. But, you know, she's... Whereas the Lori in Halloween 2018 is more of like a survival type. Like, it's like she went to this opposite of the extreme. She's also drinking, but she's like a survivalist. She's taught herself how to use weapons and set traps and stuff like that. It's sort of like... The Lori in H2O is like, you know what, my life, my backstory is fucked up and I got a lot of awful things in my life. My brother's insane, killer, but I've tried to to put a mask on and function this way. Whereas the Lori in Halloween 40 or Halloween 2018 sort of wears it proudly on her sleeve like, yeah, I'm fucking crazy. Well, what do you expect? So I like the dichotomy there. This movie, I said I had mask problems, but there's, there's some mask continuity issues. You know, when the first trailer for this was released, you get the famous shot of Lori looking through one of the door holes or the door window and Michael looks back at her. And the Michael in the original trailer has like slicked back like stockbroker mask hair, whereas the mask they ended up reshooting shit with is like a bedhead Michael Myers hair. Like there's a little bit going every direction, quiffed and perfectly quaffed in each direction like the 90s bedhead. And, you know, I don't have a... I don't have a preference one over the other, but there's there's so much footage where, like, in one shot, he's stabbing at someone with the slick back hair, and then the next shot, he's stabbing with the bedhead. Like, reshoots, editing. What's wrong with you, H2O? Why can't you just... You know, it's not as if they were making a seventh sequel that was dealing with the fact that it was a seventh sequel. There's money here. There's a desire to get this out to people. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's too much of a rush job. They reused music from the Scream franchise as the score of this movie. I hate that. Like, it's just, it's it, it's so interesting to me because you contrast this with Halloween 2018, which we obviously haven't talked about. Halloween 2018 has so much polish and care and, like, respect because we live in this age of fandom and instant social reaction responses where film companies, when they t- tackle intellectual properties, they need to be cognizant of like leaning into it and treating it with care or they're going to get blasted right away, whether it's worthy of the film's uh, accreditation or not. You know, if there's an amazing film, but it, you know, they fuck with the source material too much and all people do is bitch about it, the fact that it's a good film is going to get lost in that narrative. Here, we sort of get like a, a half-assed job of like, yeah, we respect Halloween. We, we're going to bring it back, but it's a half-assed version of that. And I think that's ultimately the failure of H2O. It's a half-assed respect reimagining. It takes place in an era where that wasn't the norm. 
and that's why it's lower than Halloween 2018, but it's still a fun return, and that's what gets it higher. And plus, it was the first Halloween film I saw in theaters. I mean, I was just fucking amped for this thing. All my friends were there. Like, it's a great high school memory. Like, I don't know what else to say. But in the end, H2O, Halloween 20 years later, is going to get number five because it's not a good execution. And Halloween 4, no. Oh, I like the brand synergy here. It's going to get slotted in at number four on the list. Now, we've only got three films left, and you've been paying attention, so you know what's left. And yes, I'm probably going to get internet punched for having one of these movies this high up. But the battle between number two and number three is Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills. That's the one I think I'm going to get berated for. But I will try to explain. Let's go chronologically. Halloween 2018. So... We've cut a, we cut all the fat off the Halloween franchise. Halloween 1 is the only movie that counts. So right away, I feel like I'm in a world, I'm watching a movie where anything could happen. All my expectations of Halloween don't matter for shit. Because we're in uncharted territory. And the film, as we just discussed, obviously, re, like, uh, requel, whatever you want to call it, like, it's, it's done by people that care, and it's done with an understanding that it needs to be done properly. That's not really something you can quantify. It's something you feel. So, it is what it is. Great cold open with the asylum and the checkered floor. Like, it might be a little on the nose, but um, I love it. It gives me chills every time. I have personally felt a disconnect between myself and H4O's Lori. But I'm not a trauma survivor, so I let it go. You know, I don't have to understand where she's coming from. But as I mentioned, you know, she's sort of in survivalist mode. She's she's taught herself how to be a hunter, how to protect herself. And I, it makes sense for the character. She doesn't want to be a victim. Um, and the teen cast here is great. You've got uh, Lori's granddaughter, Allison, and her boyfriend, her boyfriend's friend, her friend, her friend's boyfriend. They're, they just feel like real kids. It's a good group to to walk through Halloween night with and see what their fates are. The girl that's Allison's friend that's an actual babysitter who babysits the little boy Julius, she's so likable. You know, it breaks my heart that she gets killed, but I love that she protects Julius, the little boy she's babysitting. I like it quite a bit. This film handles suspense well. In that particular babysitting scene, even though the trailer spoiled it, the fact that Michael's in the closet, they don't bring it out for too long. And when they do the big reveal, it doesn't seem like they're doing an unbelievable uh, big horror movie reveal. It's just like, yeah, you know what? He was fucking here the whole time. He holds the door open, and here he comes. Stab, stab, stab. I like Dr. Sartain, the evil doctor twist. It's everything they probably wanted Loomis to be but were afraid to do, which sounds like a sex book from the 60s, but I'm sticking with it. <laughs> um, it it's a little bonkers, but that's fine. Um, this film, I, I know earlier I talked about, I forget what I was talking about, but I, I said... Uh, best scene in the franchise. Oh, it was in Halloween 2, the original Halloween 2, when Michael was in the back alleys walking around Haddonfield. So, in my opinion, Halloween 2018 contains the best sequence in the entire franchise. Michael is free. He's got the mask. He's already killed the podcasters. Hello, I'm a podcaster. (laughs) You know, I, I do like the podcaster angle. It feels real enough for the world that we live in. Like, yeah, we're some podcasters with moderate fame and success that look at cold cases. Like, it's fine. Um, But the best scene in the whole franchise, he's at full power, full strength. He's got his mask. He's got weapons. He's walking around Haddonfield during... It's not the middle of the day. It's not like 
noon, but it's like 5, 6. The sun's still out, starting to go down. Kids are out trick-or-treating. And Michael, it's an extended shot, too. Like, it's a long take. Michael just walks into a couple of houses and and brutally attacks people who aren't, like, they're not part of the narrative. They're just victims. But here's the thing. Michael casually walks in and out of these houses in the neighborhood and, and, and kills these people. He just walks through these unlocked doors. It just feels, God help me, and it's horrifying because it feels realistic. Like, I, yeah, you have to imagine that if Michael Myers was real, like if, if there was really just a person who wanted to just walk around claiming victims... I mean, think about your own home. And I'm not trying to freak you out. And I'm not. But like, you know, I lock my doors. I put my garage door down. Sure. But like, it's a casual Saturday. Everybody's home. I want some extra sunlight. You know, my front door might just be open. You know, I got a, a door. For, it's just, you know, maybe my garage door's open because I'm mowing the yard in the back. But my garage door's open and everybody's just hanging out in the house. Jesus, I'm freaking myself out now. But like, I mean, that's how it happens, right? Like, somebody just walks in and they do what they want to do and then they leave. It's, you don't need to build up suspense. Like, this is, I've talked about suspense. Like, that's the shit that takes me out of it. The cat and mouse, oh, the light switch doesn't work. No. What's horrifying is that he's able to just do this. To walk around casually because you left your door unlocked or your windows open. Like, and you just watch it happen in real time. Ah, it's fucking brilliant to introduce into a series like this that's been around for so long it can feel stale and it's horrifying please understand but that's what makes it so powerful and relevant <sighs> a great showdown at the Lori Strode compound we kind of get into the end here I love the trap I love Karen's uh oh I am trained like I love how she snaps into that repressed personality of survive being a survival. Um, Judy Greer is the actress's name. She's great in this and Halloween Kills. You know, I just know her mostly from Arrested Development. <laughs> but she's great in these two. I really like her quite a bit. When they burn the shape and the, the, the song that plays on the soundtrack is called The Shape Burns. It's probably one of my favorite Halloween moments ever. Uh, the, the music is beautiful. Great use of the Halloween theme and you sort of get this sense of victory and triumph over trauma. And we end with three generations of survivors riding into the unknown, but with a sense of security. Which is absolutely upended by Halloween kills. Just like in the original Halloween 2, it's more of the night he came home. The same night. And it's a night where allegedly evil will die tonight. Yes, Evil Dies Tonight became a big gag, but I like Evil Dies Tonight. Uh, it's one of a few random things that people yell in this movie that I'm a big fan of. I'm also a big fan of the beginning when we, we cut back to Lori and her her uh, lineage in the back of the truck, and they see the fire department. They're like, let it burn! Let it burn! So the, the firefighters come to Lori's house, and they, they rescue, in finger quotes, Michael Myers. Halloween Kills is such an interesting response to slasher films realizing that they have to amp it up in sequels. It's like the ultimate meta 
crank up the carnage and the murdering because we're making a sequel and that's just what people want to see. It does it tongue-in-cheekly, knowing that that's the expectation. I love that it's done, though, using the narrative. Michael emerges from the fire, almost reborn and cleansed of any restraint or anything that held him back in the previous two installments. Like, I don't know. I'm not... Like, he... he brutalizes these fire like it these fire he just takes them apart systematically like a fucking machine like it's horrifying but it's also unrealistic but it feels like it's done for a narrative purpose so that's what makes it feel horrifying like oh shit michael's truly unhinged now like if there was any sort of moment where you felt like maybe michael would stop and think about what he's doing it's clearly gone now we do get some great flashbacks to 78 it's so amazing how they're able to recreate the look and feel of 78 using the camera, using filtering. It's it's brilliant because it, it feels like you're just watching a scene from Halloween 2. And I, and I mean that wholeheartedly. You get the great actor who kind of looks enough like Donald Pleasance, you know, recast as Loomis, like reworking the the history that we haven't learned yet cuz we, we you know it's our first return to what happened that fateful night because Halloween 2 in the hospital doesn't exist in this continuity so i love that quite a bit and i know this came out you know during the pandemic and it went straight to peacock and it was like oh thank god something to fucking watch something to take like cuz i love halloween i was super amped up for halloween ends i won't go into details but like Ever since I saw Halloween Ends and I was so anticipating it, like even though it's Halloween still hasn't happened yet, I sort of felt like that was my purge of like all my October desire and fun that I have in October watching films. Luckily, after I watched Halloween Ends, I watched The Exorcist and it reinvigorated my desire to want to watch more uh, scary movies. And the finger quotes, Exorcist is so fucking good. I've only seen that movie twice. I haven't seen it since high school when I went to see it on a date. Girl's like, let's go see The Exorcist. It's my favorite movie of all time. And I was like, yes, please. Uh, I shouldn't say I talk that girl in years. I don't, I'm not trying to, to pigeonhole her or anything like that. Um, it's just, but it was a, it's a great movie. That's the first time I ever saw it was in high school. I saw that extended edition and then watched it a couple days ago. It's brilliant. Sound design's amazing. It's terrifying. Anywho, back to Halloween Kills. All that from the pandemic. Um, I love they bring back more legacy characters. They bring back Marion, Lindsay, Lonnie, and Tommy Doyle. Um, the mob mentality of justice versus vengeance. Now, keep in mind, this all happened before. The, this was all shot, filmed, written before the Capitol riots, but I, I think uh, think it stands on itself. Um, the scene where Michael kills the doctor and the nurse and then Marion the nurse and attacks uh, Lindsay, who, yes, is played by Real Housewife Kyle Richards. So Michael kills the kids in the season of The Witch Halloween 3 mask, which is a great little meta reference. But... The scene where he chases uh, Lindsay in the park. I gotta tell you, the scene I just went into the great length about Michael walking from house to house, killing people in broad daylight, that being my favorite scene in the entire series, but obviously that makes it my favorite scene in Halloween 2018. This is my favorite scene in Halloween Kills because I feel the terror and dread, and God love her, Kyle Richards. I know she's like the real house of Beverly Hills. My wife loves that shit. Like, 
I am able to see past all of that and believe that little Lindsay Wallace is here trying to hold her mouth shut so Michael doesn't hear her breathe. She goes to the creek like Michael goes to Bridget's great use of untapped landscape potential in Haddonfield. Like, we haven't had a bridge. I know it might sound silly, guys. Trust me. Landscape potential in Haddonfield is maybe the nerdiest sentence I've ever said, but that bridge scene works for me, man. I like it a lot. I feel the dread, and she survives. She makes it. I, I don't know. It feels so... And, the, the you know, bundle that with the fact that we've already talked about how Michael's at, like, extra strength power here because of the fire. Like... It works for me, man. It's fucking with my expectations. I like Big John and Little John. They're a fun couple to spend the night with, living in the Myers house. I like the idea that Michael always returns to the spot, you know, where he killed his sister. It's interesting to me. I don't like Lori in the hospital the whole movie. It feels like so redundant and like such an unnecessary callback to Halloween 2, the original. But I get that she's hurt, so whatever. Um... We haven't talked about the penguin yet. The penguin is the other guy that escaped from Smith's Grove that carries the umbrella, who I'm just going to lovingly call the penguin. I love that scene where the mob hunts him through the hospital and he just kills himself. I mean, again, we talked in Halloween Ends, and I'll be vague in case you skipped over it. We talked about the infection. The infection that is the cultural or societal belief of what was true or what actually happened infecting Haddonfield and that specific individual. I mean, this is where it starts, right? So that's one of the reasons why I, I want to give Halloween's ends more. More respect, more than the initial blowback of, oh, that was fucking, wasn't what I wanted. So, but I won't talk more about Halloween ends. I do love the the Tommy Doyle's mob. Like, I mean, it's horrifying. It felt extremely realistic. I'll tell you that much. And, uh, you know, when, when Michael finally takes on the mob at the end and he survives that assault that seems very one-sided, I like that it's telling me, well, guys, mob justice just doesn't work. It's a little ham-fisted, but considering that's sort of the narrative thrust of Halloween Kills, Halloween Kills is about, if Halloween is about Laurie responding to Michael Myers, Halloween Kills is about Haddonfield or a society responding to Michael Myers. And of course, we all know from real life, society doesn't handle things too well. And so, nor does the society of Haddonfield. Halloween Kills ends with Michael killing Karen, Laurie Strode's daughter. And it's such a good middle chapter cliffhanger ending. It's Empire Strikes Back. Nobody wins here. Everybody's worse off than when we were when the movie started. But now we know more. And obviously, I'm not holding this against Halloween Kills because I've got it up in this discussion. But again, that it speaks greater to the perhaps unique missed opportunities of Halloween Ends. Because even though Karen's disgust in Halloween Ends, like come on man like I need the response to this event like the problem with Halloween kills and ends in 2018 is when it's you know looked at by history at the end is that the trilogy fails because it doesn't address its own things Uh, Halloween ends does not fail as hard as the rise of Skywalker though mind you but there's some interesting parallels there I think now that I'm talking about it out loud but I love the ending I do quite quite a bit Michael just breathing looking at the spot that he feels home at, having just created or committed the greatest sin against our heroine, Laurie Strode. 
setting the stage for what has to be an explosive, brutal finale, right? Anywho. When it ends, though, number three is Halloween Kills, and number two is Halloween 2018, because I feel that Kills is not as strong as 18. Um, And yeah, I, I, I don't like the fact that the... Well, I guess Halloween Ends is the most recent. I don't like doing lists, or it's always such a cop-out to me when lists, it's like uh, the best, all these things throughout history, and then the top ones are just like the most recent ones. But because it's like, well, of course, they're the ones you've seen the least, they're the ones that are the freshest in your head. And it's like, yeah, I get that when it comes to this, but you can't, it's hard to argue against the care and the polish of which the creators took to Halloween and Halloween Kills and I do think to Halloween Ends as well because it's a film's made fine and it, it looks good and you know Halloween it ends took risk we're done talking about Halloween Ends but I feel like there's too much good here that I can overlook the fact that they're the most modern so that's where it stands and of course and I don't I don't want to shortchange it I really really don't obviously Number one is Halloween from 1978. I mean, what else can I say about this movie that hasn't been said? And I don't say that to throw shade at it. Like, I don't... I'm just a guy with a podcast. I don't know what I can do. Like, what what new respect or vision can I give you on Halloween? I don't know. I do know, alliteratively speaking, it's efficient, effective, and engaging. With its budget, its runtime... It's score, Jesus Christ, the score. The true dread you feel watching this movie because it feels like it could just happen. This is the one thing I'll say because I, I, I can't deep dive into Halloween. It's been done to death. I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight, as one would say, as we heard in our open. Um, What makes Halloween the most effective for me is the use of daylight. I, I probably not surprising considering I, I waxed forever about how the daylight killing in 2018 is my favorite thing in the whole series. But the fact that Michael stalks Lori and her friends throughout the day. I mean, we see Michael Myers clear as day. Like, there's no mystery here. We know that this girl's being stalked by the guy we just saw escape from the mental institution. We know he's there. So, one of the, you know, we've talked about suspense a lot in this movie. I hate the it's dark you know, the light switch doesn't work, is evil out there, is there something for me to fear? This whole movie, we don't have to worry about that, because even if the light switches don't work, or I get locked behind the door, or I hear a noise, or is there somebody there about to stab me, and after, even though I just had sex with Linda, and my name's Bob, and look at my glasses, like, the audience knows the whole time, yes, we know he's there, because we saw it clear as day, because John Carpenter was smart enough to show us the shape in the light of day, and to let us know from the get-go, this is really happening. This isn't some sort of dream sequence. There are no dream sequences in Halloween. It's all reality. That's that's the gift that Carpenter gives this movie, the intelligence to direct it in a way that shows us clearly the boogeyman is here, the boogeyman is hunting us, and the suspense and dread that the characters are wondering if they should feel and that we as an audience feel is real. Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis is an all-time cinema character. I love Donald Pleasance. I love him in The Great Escape. I love him in fucking Puma Man, even. Puma Man! 
I am Dr. Loomis, and you are evil, Puma Man. Um, it's pronounced Puma Man. Puma Man! I'm um, no, Puma, Puma Man! All right, I'll just let it go. Yes, that's a Mystery Science Theater 3000 joke, but if you haven't seen Puma Man, go for it. It's a fucking, one of the best episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000, and Donald Pleasance is in it, so what more do you want? But uh, it made Jamie Lee Curtis a star... It's the granddaddy of them all. It's the WrestleMania or WrestleMania 3 to the Halloween series. Like, nothing in the slasher genre. Like, it doesn't happen without this movie. And, and there's a reason why. Made on a shoestring budget, extremely profitable. Spawned an entire multimedia franchise that is endlessly talked about here in 2022. And I think that pretty much shapes it up. And you see what I did there with the shape? And again, I'm not trying to shortchange it. I just... It was obvious from the get-go. Anytime anyone does a ranking of Halloween films, you you just need to hear everything that's after number one or before number one because you already know. You knew it going in. And if you didn't know it going in, shame on you. <laughs> I'm kidding. But if for some reason you haven't or you haven't in a long time, do yourself a favor before November 1st happens. Just rewatch Halloween. It's like 90 minutes you know, everybody likes Halloween. Even people that don't like scary movies like, you know why? Because it's low on gore. It's low on body count. It, that's not what they use to terrify you. They use dread and the feeling of unnerved, being unnerved. So, yeah. If you haven't yet this year, as I haven't, I need to go. I haven't done my yearly. I'm going to here pretty soon. I wanted to do this first because, you know, I didn't want to ramble too much about my most recent rewatching. I just wanted to give you what I feel and what I know because that movie lives in you after you see it and if you become a fan of it. But speaking of movies living with you, I've got to go live my life. You've got to go live yours. So let's recap the list and get on out of here because we've all got some trick-or-treating to do or some costumes still to plan for. Number 13, Halloween Resurrection Trick-or-Treat Motherfucker. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, a.k.a. the Deftones White Pony. Number 11, getting me kicked in the dick by the internet, the original Halloween 2 featuring the last Starfighter. Number 10, also getting me kicked in the dick for putting it this high, uh, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, a.k.a. Tina Takes a Drive. Number 9, Rob Zombie's Halloween, a.k.a. Uh, I'm going to get my cut cunt munched you cunt rag oh i am a good girl rob zombies halloween maybe we should just call it that number eight halloween six the curse of michael myers the only version that exists the producer's cut number seven getting my dick cut off by the internet halloween ends number six dan the beast seven versus fucking the irish halloween three season of the witch Ha! Number five, Halloween, Lori's Creek, H2O. Number four, Halloween, The Return of Michael Myers. Number three, Halloween Dies Tonight with Halloween Kills. Number two, Halloween, The Pineapple Express, or Halloween 2018, written by Danny McBride, as I think all three of the trilogy were. And of course, number one, The Night He Came Home. Yes, Michael, you son of a bitch. Halloween by John Carpenter. Folks, as always, if you like this show, maybe uh, send out some love, spread the word, and subscribe to the Aqua Cave so you get notified whenever new content drops. 
Top Man's always bringing the list. Sprite Man with the bright ideas. Concrete Man with the Vince McMahon insanity. And Star Man with the worst wrestling matches of all time. I'm Johnny C. And a Michael is you. <laughs>